everybody. Pastor Terry is uh, not with us tonight. He went to celebrate his father, father's 80th birthday, and then um, he went from there to, to a wedding. And he'd rather be here, and as you know that he's mostly here, but uh, he does send his uh, love, and um, he'll, he'll be back uh, shortly. I grew up in a small town in New England called Norwich. The town was established in 1659, and the house that I grew up in was built in the late 1800s. I I actually thought the house was haunted when I was a kid. Um, I lived really close to the downtown about a three-minute walk. So when, when I was about nine years old, my mom would send me to the downtown to get milk and, or bread or, or anything that she might need. And it was real convenient. The other thing good about living where I lived was I was close to the downtown and there was two movie theaters down there. One was the Midtown and the other was the Palace Theater. And on Saturdays, you could go see a double matinee for 99 cents. You'd hand them a dollar, they actually slide you back a penny. And then you could go inside with that penny, and you could buy, you know, you could buy some candy with a penny, believe it or not. We would see movies like the classic 1931 Dracula, or maybe that's why I thought my house was haunted, I don't know. Um, we would see the 1931 classic Frankenstein, um, Abbott and Costello, you know, like kind of fun movies like that, The Three Stooges. One movie I remember most particularly was a 1961 classic called The King of Kings. This movie portrayed the birth, life, and death of Jesus. In this movie, they depict one scene where Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. People were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Pontius Pilate is asking questions, but Jesus isn't saying a word. I remember seeing Jesus standing before Pilate, bloody, beaten, And I remember saying to myself, why doesn't Jesus say anything? I remember, I'm I'm a young kid. Like, why doesn't he say anything? Please defend yourself. You're absolutely innocent of these charges. Say something. At the time, I didn't really know the scriptures. And now looking back, it was prophesied, um, Jesus, uh, it, it was prophesied in Isaiah that he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearer is silent, he opened not his mouth. So right in front of me was prophecy being fulfilled. At the time, I knew about God, 
the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but I didn't have like a relationship with him. One day prior to the trial, prior before he's standing before Pilate, the Sadducees, a religious sect, was trying to trick Jesus and asking him questions about the resurrection. And they came up with this convoluted story about if, if a brother dies and he marries another and another and another, you know, whose wife will, it, will she be in the, in the kingdom of heaven? And, and Jesus says to them, you're mistaken not knowing the scripture nor the power of God. And, and that verse in, in Matthew 22 always struck me because I don't want that to be me, not knowing the scripture, nor the power of God. The power of God is an attribute of God, omnipotent, meaning unlimited power. God has unlimited power. Now, remember, I was asking, why didn't Jesus speak? But Pontius Pilate was asking the same question. He, he was dumbfounded. In the Gospel of, in the Gospel of John, Pilate says to Jesus, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you or the power to release you? And in your mind's eye, you've probably seen that type of scene before in the movie where Pilate is actually saying that to Jesus. And Jesus just calmly looks at him and says, you could have no power at all against me unless it was given to you from above. Pilate thought he had the power, but all his power was given to him. If you remember, prior to Jesus being arrested in the garden, when his disciples started to fight, Jesus said, don't you know I could ask my father right now for 12, 12 legions of angels to come. Jesus had, had the power. Today I want to talk about the power of God, specifically the power that Jesus displayed on earth. So please turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. And starting in verse 22, if you're using one of the Bibles here, it's on page 1190, 1191. And and let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are powerful. You're omnipotent and you can unlimited power. And even now, Father, we pray for your power of your Holy Spirit just to help me speak clearly. May your word flow forth in, in a powerful way and that you would be glorified. We do love you, Lord, and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the background of this, the context here, is it's still early in the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist has been arrested, but he hasn't been beheaded yet. And many would consider this time frame the miracle years. And in this section that we're going to go through from chapter 22 to the end of the chapter, we're going to see four distinct miracles. All of these miracles displays Jesus' power, power over storms, over demons, over sickness, 
and then over death. So just to orientate you, uh, in today's story, we are on, we're in uh, Capernaum, and we're on the west side of Galilee. And we're going to be, they're going to be getting in a boat, going over to the east side, and what they're going to call the other side. So in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, now it happened a certain day that he, Jesus, got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And then they launched out. So as you can see, they were in the perfect will of God, doing exactly what he said. And even though that was happening, they, they, they are going to encounter a storm. In verse 23, but as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy, jeopardy danger. Some could ask, many would ask, why would God allow this? Why would God allow it this day? Why would God allow it to them? Now remember, God allowed a storm for Jonah to get him back on track. Perhaps here, God was allowing this storm so to train and to test his disciples that they would trust him. In verse 24, and then they came to Jesus, they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. So at this point, they were afraid that they were going to die. Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And then they, the, the wind and the raging water, ceased and there was a calm. In verse 25, Jesus says, where is your faith? Now, they were already afraid because of the storm. But now the storm ceased. And now that word afraid, if you look it up, means like terrified. So now they're even more terrified that the sea is calm. And why are they more uh, terrified? It says they were afraid and marveled, saying to one to another, who can this be? that he commands the wind and the waves that even obey him. This verse, uh, and and I mentioned this before, but I have a deep-seated meaning to me, where is your faith? Because there was a time in, in my life where I thought my boat was sinking, my life was going down, my work, I, I thought I was going under. And until I, I was reading this and I was reading that verse, where is your faith? And I realized that Jesus was talking to me too, asking me, hey, look, I, said, I put you in that position that you're in. I, I, I said I would never leave you nor forsake you. Where, where's your faith? Jesus has power over storms. Jesus rebuked the wind. The next part here picks up in verse 26. And, and it's Jesus has power over demons. 
And what's interesting about this, many people think that it's some equal match between God and the devil. Like it's some kind of 50-50 wrestling match and and who's going to win. But that's not so. You know, if you think about it, the devil tried to kill Jesus when he was born, but he was unsuccessful. If you think about it, when Jesus started his ministry, he also tried to tempt him to fall, but he couldn't do it. Here, more than likely, he looked down at this little, at this boat, and he said, you know that, that little boy that grew up, he's sleeping, I'll just wipe out the whole ministry right now. I'll wipe him out. God allowed, God allowed the storm, but Jesus had power over the storm, just like he has power over demons. This is how Jesus is described in the Bible. In Colossians, it says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. This is how it describes Lucifer or the devil. Now, in Isaiah 14, Satan, if you ever heard of it, gives his five I wills. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend above him. And five different times he proclaims how he's going to be higher than God. Well, the verse right after that in in chapter 14 of Isaiah says, Yet you shall be brought down to Shiloh, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, talking about Lucifer, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? It's not an equal match. So so back to Luke chapter 8, in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Opposite, okay? So they were on the the, the west side. They were going to to the Gentile area, okay? They were, the Jewish side is where they started, and now they were going to the Gentile area, the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And in verse 27, And when he, Jesus, stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he had no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. If you skip down to verse, the end of verse 29, it gives a further description. For it, the unclean spirits, would often seize him, and he was kept under God, but with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. So this guy was naked, strong as could be, living out in the tombs. In verse 28, when Jesus saw him, he cried, when Jesus, when he saw Jesus, when the demon-possessed man saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice says, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Verse 29, Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it often seized him. 
In verse 32, we see, now there was a herd of swine, and, and you know this story, they were feeding on the mountain, so they, the demons, begged him, Jesus, that they would permit him to go in, and he permitted them. In verse 35, when they, the people of the city, heard what had happened, they came out to see what happened. They came to Jesus and found the man with whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So in verse 27, he had no clothes. Here, he has clothes. In verse 27, he had demons, and here the demons departed. In verse 28, he was tormented, but here we see him sitting at Jesus' feet. The whole multitude, though, in that Gentile area, they, they were freaked out. So in verse 37, it says, Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him, Jesus, to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and returned. Jesus has power over demons. Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to leave, and the unclean spirit left. In verse 40, as Jesus left the west side of the Sea of Galilee, making his way back to the east side, we see in verse 40 that there was a multitude that welcomed him. They were waiting for him. That's, that's what it says. And in the crowd was a lot of people, but there was two people in particular that we're going to see right now, a man and a woman. We, we find out the man's name is uh, J- Jairus, and the woman's name we don't know. But they were waiting. And it's hard to wait. Nobody likes waiting. And it's wait, especially if you're waiting at a hospital, if someone's sick or if someone's injured, or waiting to get, to get a call, you know, for a job, or, or just waiting. Nobody likes it. But this multitude is waiting because they knew that Jesus had the power to heal. And in verse 41 it says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. So here we have a prestigious man, ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and he begged him to come to his house. In verse 42 it, it, it describes that he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitude thronged him. And thronged is like they pressed him, they closed in on him. In verse 43, we see now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years also, and who spent her all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. And she had this flow of blood, and it, it's, it's like a hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging, bleeding for 12 years. 
We see from the story here in verse 44 that she came from behind and she touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. In the, in the Gospel of Mark, it's recorded, she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I'd be healed. And in verse 45, Jesus said, who, who, who touched me? Who touched me? And it says all denied it. And he gets a little conversation going on with Peter. And in verse 46, uh, Jesus said, somebody touched me. I perceived power going out from me. In verse 47, now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him, how she was healed immediately. Jesus has power over sickness. Verse 48, Jesus says to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus calls her daughter. For her to hear those words, daughter, must have been of great comfort to her. Now, it was probably very frustrating to Jairus because he needed Jesus to get to his house like right away because his daughter was dying. But Jesus tells her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has healed you. Her faith. Not the touch. It was her faith that, that she was going to the master. In verse 49, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, somebody came from the ruler of the, of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the master. Do not trouble the teacher. The pain that Jairus must have felt when those, when those words fell on his ears, that your daughter is dead. In these verses, there's no recorded response from Jairus. But there is a response recorded from Jesus because Jesus was there. So Jesus responds in verse 50. When Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. In the Gospel of Mark, a similar story happens where Jesus tells a father, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, in tears, Lord, I believe, help my own belief. And right now as Jairus and this crowd was walking to his house, you can just imagine the stuff going on in Jairus' head. And in verse 51, when they came into the house, he, Jesus, permitted no one to go in except Peter, 
James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he commanded that she should be given something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one of what happened. Jesus has power over death. He simply told the girl, arise. The scriptures in this story, we see that Jesus has power over storms, over demons, over sickness, and in death. The difficult question that that I didn't answer is why does God allow storms and sickness and the devil to run wild and death? My, my daughter once asked me a similar question. And this was several years ago, actually in, in 2005, where my daughter, Rebecca, was 21 years old when her close friend, Adrian Andrea Ray Dominguez, was involved in an automobile accident. Andrea and my daughter Rebecca were, were attending UTEP together. They, they were studying together. They were close friends. They had, they had fun, like most peop, young people do. Well, when she was involved in that car accident, my daughter was heartbroken as she waited for her close friend to recover. And Andrea was actually in the backseat of her car. Her younger brother was driving, and somebody had stolen the stop sign and, or removed it. So he was a young driver, and so he went through the stop sign, and the car T-boned the car. Andrea, on the outside, really didn't have any injuries at all. I mean, she looked fine, but she had a lot of internal injuries. My daughter visited her in the hospital, prayed for her, and she asked me, why would God allow this? Andrea died at the age of 22. My daughter just didn't understand why, and she asked me, why? Why would God allow this? And I I didn't have an answer. I I embraced her, I hugged her, I cried with her, but but I didn't have an answer. What I didn't know at the time is that Andrea, Andrea, 
signed up to be an organ donor. And at the memorial funeral service, uh, my daughter found out that many families received life-saving organs from Andrea. Struggling to speak, I told my daughter that God maybe didn't answer her prayer, but God answered the prayer of 10 other families that were praying for their loved one to receive life-saving organs for transplants. Shortly after Andrea's passing, her mother brought a framed photo of her to the ICU at UMC. The mom also brought a poem, and the poem is, To Remember Me. The mom wanted others to remember her daughter and the precious gift of the organ donation that Andrea provided. They hung up the photo in the ICU, and soon there was a second photo on the wall beside Andrea, and then a third. Each of these parents also, relatives, decided to donate their organs after their family member passed away. Today, if you go to the ICU, you'll see many photos on the wall, and every time I go there, I look for Andrea's picture on the wall. They, they call it now the Wall of Heroes, and it's being replicated in many hospitals nationwide. Why does God allow storms? Why does he allow evil to run wild and sickness and death? I, I don't know for certain. And I, and I can come up with my own speculations and my own reasons why. But I, but I really don't know for sure. What I do know is that God is good. God has ultimate power, and he chooses to use it when it is best for his ultimate plan. There's a verse in Isaiah that says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we we don't know why God does certain things. It's interesting if you look back in, there's there's three prayers that happen with with the demon-possessed man. In verse 31, they, the demons, begged that they would not be committed them to go into the abyss. And in verse 32, so they begged that he would not permit them to go into them. And what does it say in verse 32? Jesus permitted them. So they, they basically begged or prayed that Jesus wouldn't send them to the abyss. And Jesus answered the prayer. In verse 37, when the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes 
asked him, basically prayed or begged him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear, that he just got into the boat and returned. So the demons asked him to leave, he left. The multitude that were fearful asked him to leave, he left. Excuse me, the demons asked to go into the pigs, he permitted it. The the multitude asked them to leave, he departed. Now, in verse 39, excuse me, at the end of 38, the man, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might go with him. I mean, that makes sense, right? He just was healed. He wants to follow Jesus. What does Jesus say to him? Return to your own house and tell the great things that God has done for you. So you have three prayers in the middle of that. The demons, he says, okay. The multitude, he says, okay. And now one of the people that want to follow him, he says, no. So even there, we can look at it now and say, you know what? Okay, he sent that guy back because of his grace. And that guy went, and it says, and he went his way, and he proclaimed throughout the whole city the great things that God, that Jesus had done for him. So it's not, it's not for us to know the ways of God It's for us to trust in the ways of God. Jesus has power, ultimate power. He created all things. The storms he stopped, the demons he cast out, the sickness he healed, the sting of death he conquered on the cross. Death has no more victory. And it's for us difficult as it is, to simply trust him in those difficult situations. You know, when, when, when my daughter was challenged with her friend dying, you can imagine the pain that she felt and the sadness and how she felt bad that her prayer wasn't answered. But looking back, looking back, those 10 other families, God answered their prayers. The the important thing for me is to trust God no matter what. And when when the world around us is in a storm right now, it's, it's for me to look to him and to know that he's good and to know that he's kind, and to know that he's omnipotent, and to know that he's never going to leave me, and he's never going to forsake me. And everything I just said for me is true for you if you are a child of God. And it's not difficult to be a child of God. All that come to me, I will in no way cast out, Jesus said. So all anyone here has to do is to come to him. When Benjamin was, was praying, he said, if you, if, those that seek him will find him. So 
Let's, let's seek Him today. Seek Him with our whole heart. Let, let's pray. Father, we thank You that You and you alone have the power i think at times we we think we have power we think we have ability we think we have strength but really anything that we have anything that we do is really a gift from you we thank you father for the gift of life and the gift of salvation that you have given us. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the example that he gave of just resting in the storm and just being calm as he went through the the mob of people, you know, yelling and wanting to grab him and touch him and just his calm presence, Lord. We, we thank you for that. And Father, even right now, as maybe some of us are just struggling with storms or in sickness or any type of calamity like that, Father, let us right now just know in our inner being that you have the power but you also have the wisdom and the know-how of what we need and when we need it. Father, if there's anybody here right now that doesn't know your power, doesn't know your love, doesn't know your grace, I ask even now that you would just open up their heart and their mind and they would just simply just reach out to you like that woman reached out for your robe and they would cry out, if I would just touch him, I would, I would be healed. And even now, Father, that they would be forgiven of their sins and they would be able to enter into your kingdom by simply acknowledging their sins and acknowledging who you are, the great I am, the great power the great and mighty God. We do love you, Lord. We do need you. We pray for your continued word to minister us throughout the week, that we would know that you are all-powerful and you are the true and one living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.